don't worry about your next kind of like promotion or job title, just try to keep learning. Welcome to Lawagon Live. This week we have Claire Parker, Senior Product Manager from the Financial Times speaking to us. Claire is responsible for both the Nikkei Asian Review and the FT Partnership, accelerating business growth by improving consumer-facing products as well as internal ones. She'll share her secrets on how she climbed the ranks from data analysis to product management and what this means for her role. Keep listening to hear her insights into working for one of the biggest media outlets in the world. So I graduated uh, back in 2010, which now makes me feel very old. Um, so I did a computing and management degree. So I couldn't work out if I wanted to go full on computing or if I just wanted to do a bit more of a business thing. So I thought it would be fun to do both. What I liked about that internship, I think, was um, they offered a graduate scheme at the end. And I spoke to a couple of the grads when I was on the internship and what they liked about the scheme was that you could kind of rotate around and work out what you wanted to do in IT because I didn't really get any sense from um, college or university at the time as to what you could do with this degree, what the different roles were. So um, when I graduated, I picked out a grad scheme. So I did roles such as solution architecture. Um, I did a bit of... Um, design badly um, and then did a bit of business analyst um, and I really enjoyed that. I've never particularly liked coding that much because <laughs> I um, prefer to um, chat mainly and then grad scheme you kind of your first job you don't typically stay out for that long I guess um, and then um, a job move came up at the FT once um, I completed my role and moved there um, enjoyed being a BA, thought it was really interesting, but the BA role for me is very much someone decides this is what you should do and then you're kind of responsible for working with tech leads, devs, designers, etc. to work out how you do it. I wanted to be that person deciding the what. Uh, so I had an opportunity at the FT, we needed a product person. Um, and I was the BA with the newsroom, so I had already had a relationship part silly, part faithful, and let me uh, kind of move to that product role because um, I'd done a good job, obviously, in the BA role um, and then never really kind of looked back from product. So I spent uh, a couple of years building that program up from scratch. So that was definitely like internal products. So your customer is in the building. Um, I then went to work on FT.com. Um, looking at how we can better acquire uh, customers. Um, and then the role came up for Nick Asian Review. Um, and it was basically a website, CMS, uh, so, so newsroom systems and sales and marketing. So it was everything at the FT in one little program with the added trips to Tokyo as a bonus. So jumped on that um, and Recently got promoted, so now I kind of look after Nick Asian Review and um, the other uh, FT Nikkei project. So that's kind of, in a summary, I guess, how I got here. Okay, well, <laughs> congratulations on the promotion. I think that's my CV. Uh, and uh, what is the Nick, uh, Nikkei Asian Review and the FT partnership with that? Yeah, so um, the FT was previously owned by Pearson, and then, which is an education company, um, and in 2015, um, Nikkei, who are a Japanese, oh, sorry, I've just kicked your piece of paper off. Uh, Nikkei, who are a Japanese um, media company, a news publisher, purchased the FT. 
Um, and part of the reason that they bought the FT was to learn um, from us. Uh, we've really grown our tech and our product teams and all of our uh, tech and product processes. Um, and we're quite a strong subscription. Our paywall is quite tough to get past frequently. So they kind of obviously liked um, the fact that we're a news company, liked the brand, liked the quality and, of what we produce, but they liked our, also our kind of expertise and product and technology. So um, that's kind of the reason why they purchased us. But then there were several synergy projects that kind of got created, which sounds terrible, but that's what they're called. Um, and Nick Asian Review was one of them. The idea was that we could help um, partner uh, Nick Asian Review's expertise to really accelerate their digital growth because they were also a new subscription company. Um, and the unique selling point of NAR is that um, it is really hard to get really good, high-quality, reliable, non-biased news on Asian business and Asian companies. And what they do is they have a phenomenal um, network of journalists in Asia, so they provide that Asian perspective. So they will get stuff ahead of the Financial Times, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, for example, um, and they give that view on something like Brexit, they give that Asian view from over there as to what the hell is happening. Um, and it, it's that, that's the kind of unique selling point. So um, that's kind of how the role came about. Okay, so uh, in dealing with both, how do you spread your time between them? Um, so I'm day-to-day -day on, so our group product managers at the FT, you're kind of day-to-day -day on one project and then you typically would um, be responsible for the portfolio. Mine was a portfolio of two, not massive, but still counts. Um, and then there'd be some, a product manager on that on a day-to-day -day, and then you'd kind of be accountable for it or kind of look after it and you'd line manage them. So my day would probably be, um, or my week, days all vary, but probably like... Um, 60 to 70% on my project, and around like 30 to 40 on the other, depending on what's kind of happening at the moment. Okay. And in, lead, in leading these distributed teams around the world, uh, how do you sort of deal with the challenges of communication in that? Are the key decisions still being made in person, a lot of traveling, or are you guys uh, communicating digitally quite a lot? Um, mainly by learning, making mistakes and learning and working it out. But um, So how we're structured, just for context, is that um, there's myself, um, a business analyst and a project manager and a uh, product designer, so UXD, um, in London. And then our devs are up in um, Birmingham and then all the business stakeholders are in Tokyo. And there's another product and tech team in Tokyo who we're kind of working with at Nikkei. Um, so what we typically do is um, start early and we'll have all of our meetings with Tokyo in the morning. Um, and then we'll have meetings with um, Brum to kind of like get up to speed and then the afternoons ourselves. So how we um, kind of typically manage it is via lots and lots of Google Hangouts, lots and lots of Slack. Um, not so much email, um, more one-to-one -one conversations easier on Hangout or Slack. Um, and there's definitely a communication overhead. So as a product person, you spend a lot of your time working with the business, updating the business where you are. So in order to f reduce that uh, feeling of distance, there's a large communication overhead. So we're constantly sending updates. I have Google Slides 
my view is most things can be achieved in a Google slide deck, um, like where you can go and get updates on what we're working on and that kind of thing. So just basically lots and lots and lots of communication. Okay, and working across different cultures, how does that affect? Yeah, that's really funny. So what's challenging about the role is that there's um, you know, European culture and then there's Japanese culture um, and then there's FT culture and there's Nikkei. So um, a good example of FT and Nikkei culture is that at the FT, I would send an email to say like six, seven people and say, guys, we're doing this, does that sound okay? And everyone would do the polite British thing of like, yes, excellent, great, yep, and do that. Um, at Nikkei, if they just don't have a culture of sending an email because they don't want to bombard everyone's inboxes. So I was just firing off all these emails and getting absolutely nothing in response for weeks. And I was like, have I done something wrong? Have they completely disagree with my ideas? Uh, so I raised it in a retro and they were like, oh no, we completely agree. It's fine. I was like, well, how was I ever meant to know that it was completely fine? I was just having like panic attacks when I got home, like what the hell have I done? And just getting radio silence. So that was a, a good example of, I now just don't bother doing email. There's no point. And then in terms of like cultural differences, um, so they'll do that like last, so it's say it takes about 80% to do the last 20%. They'll completely go for it and they will love doing that last 20% to get it perfect, where we will try and kind of work a little bit quicker to get stuff out the door. Um, and the FT in general, we have the kind of um, practice where we build our systems so that if they basically go wrong, we can fix it quite quickly. So we'll be less worried about the fact that it went wrong initially and because we, we know we can fix the problem quite quickly and then we'll always have a retrospective and stop it happening again but we're more happy to work at pace with that little bit of risk where the culture in Japan is very very different so quality um, you don't release things and it goes wrong that's like a massive deal um, so that's been quite a hard thing for us to maneuver. I think we look like cowboys to begin with, um, and we've had to try and find that balance. Have you had any four pound moments you want to share? Yeah, so, you know, just like emailing and get no response. Um, you're also meant to, when you go into a meeting room, they do a system, so the most important person sits somewhere, and then the guest sits somewhere else, and then it they sit by less importance round and I just came into the room and sat down and everyone was like well, what are you doing um, and then we were just politely like sat down where they were so that was fun so you had to move um, no I just sat oh, no. there smiled <laughs> but they're really lovely so they know that we don't know this stuff what um, a fun meeting so they're quite like um, they're quite friendly and they're really quite patient with us because we just um, there's some things where we just yeah haven't really got a clue but we're all trying to like learn Japanese badly um, and no etiquettes, but there's just so much of it that you do make mistakes, but they're very um, patient and accommodating, so that's nice. So at the start of your career, you mentioned you were GSK. Yeah. Uh, what was it like there and what was your role in particular? Yeah, so we were discussing this earlier, like I actually can't really remember much about what I did. It just feels so long ago and I think um, it was more of a general like intern role. It was IT internship, but it was definitely a role where I wasn't coding. It was more of like a business analysis role, I think. Um, but I think the main thing I got from it was actually just like a snapshot as to what corporate life was like and what the real world was like, which I think you just don't really get um, at university at all. And especially at um, 
like an example at uni that always amused me was we were studying uh, software development life cycles. And I think we had like, say, I don't know, say it was like an eight week course. And then I think there was one passing slide on Agile and that was it. Um, and, and is that what you guys use now? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, completely. But and I know that was a long time ago, um, sadly. But like, it was that was the main thing I got from the internship was that sense of this is actually what the real world's like, um, and the fact that I wouldn't mind sat in an office and I could cope with that. Okay, so I want to zero in on FT for the moment. Yeah. How has the FT's model changed with the digital advancements recently? Obviously, in media, it's affected a lot. Yeah. And uh, if you could talk us through a little bit about that. Yeah, so the FT's been on a digital transformation drive for the last like eight to ten years, um, and it's completely unrecognizable now. So print is still really important to us, and we have really valued. Um, print subscribers who love holding like the pink paper and all of that but digital is absolutely the future so we're still trying to protect our print uh, the quality of our print um, subscription service that we provide but we're definitely digital focused um, and that's you've seen that in the company as it's changed so um, the newsroom now are completely digital first so instead of a whole newsroom trying to work out what stories they're getting ready for a print deadline. Um, the print is kind of, you get a story to a print, but you're working on it digital first. You're working for the website copy, um, and then it kind of a copy is taken of that story for print. Um, and instead of having like many, many print editions on the one day, we just have like one cutoff now. So the newsroom is very much the core of VFT, and they've completely shifted um, into digital focus. Um, and then what's come with that is the need for better product and tech teams. Um, so our, our chief product information officer, um, Kate O'Reardon, is on the board and she looks after all of our product and tech at the FT. And she's kind of like now got equal footing with people in the newsroom, B2C, B2B. That's how important product and tech is because everything's moved um, digital, we need to support the newsroom with the tools that they use to produce their journalism. The website's really important, our app's really important, um, supporting our B2B, B2C teams. So it's really everyone across the business now is very data focused um, and very much digital first. So it's been quite a, a, a flip. And so how do you acquire new readers in terms of digital? And maybe you've mentioned the loyal print uh, FT reader. I want to know, do you guys segment them? Uh, there's a print reader and there's a digital reader, or is there an FT customer that both of those channels feed into? So when we focus on acquisition, we're typically focusing more on digital, but print's very much there and talks about on our paywall, etc. But how we um, acquire people and actually how we retain subscribers is that at the FT, we really focus on engagement. So um, you've probably got subscriptions like Netflix, Spotify, etc. If you don't use them, you will cancel them. So I had a Now TV subscription with Game of Thrones. That's finished, so I cancelled my subscription. So with a subscription business, what's important is uh, frequency, so how often you come, recency, when did you last visit, and volume. So when you come to FT, how much are you reading? So if we keep our existing subscribers engaged, so coming off and reading a lot, we know that they're, when they come up to renewal, they'll be like, okay, I'm getting value from this, therefore I'll continue my subscription. So at the point of acquisition, what we've done is try to um, whilst maintaining a strict paywall is start a trial model 
Um, so you can pay a pound and then you can access VFT for about a whole month, um, all of it. Um, and then what we'll do is try and build up your engagement in that month because we know that if you're then building a habit, you're much more likely to then... We auto-renew you anyway, but we're more, you're much more likely for you to be happy with that auto-renew um, and um, want to do that rather than cancel. So does that engagement effort entail like sending emails and uh, things like that? What is it? Yeah. So um, we have a really good selection of newsletters. So um, email is still really important. So we have a lot of readers whose first um, thing, and I know this from customer interviews, they'll be in bed and they'll like sit and open their inbox, get the newsletter and then go, okay, I want to read that. And they'll start reading the, the news straight away in that sense. Or when they're walking around the apartment making toast or coming in on the like train, bus, however you kind of commute. And then what we also do is we push our, um, or not push, we suggest um, our app. So we know that if you um, use our app, you're definitely likely to be more engaged. Um, and then we've also got this um, feature that works really well for us um, and works better for our customers, which is uh, MyFT. So uh, you can follow a topic. So every time you write about a topic, we'll kind of like prod you and say, here's something new that will be of interest to you. Because we have a lot of readers who, want to come to VFT and kind of get that editorial view, so what's happening in the world. Um, but we'll also have a lot of readers who kind of come to VFT to read a very specific topic. Um, and MyFT is a way that they can easily find out if, they, if we've written something new on that topic. So when we're acquiring people, we try and kind of highlight the best features that we can to our customers, because they're good features, but we know that they also build habit. Okay, so to what extent does um user data drive your product development? So we're incredibly data focused at VFT. So the engagement score we've created was created by our data teams and they've got a ridiculously long formula, which I don't understand, but it basically comes, it calculates every individual subscriber's um, engagement score. So we know that if you have an engagement score higher than 18.2, you are basically engaged enough to um, retain. So you, the chances are that you will continue to renew your subscription. So what we can do is look at how people, how often people are coming, and then we can kind of segment our users. So we can look at the behavior of our really engaged subscribers to look at what makes them love VFT so much. Um, and we can look at people who are less engaged and try and bring them back um, to the FT site to read our content and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's and that's something engagement from a data perspective is something that is universal across the FT. So, FT tech and product teams use it, but um, in editorial focus on engagement, B2C, B2B, um, the FT is data crazy, basically, <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, apart from engagement, uh, how much other sort of user data that might be useful, things like, I don't know, location, a London customer might have different preferences to a non-London customer and things like that. Do you focus on that or is it just purely uh, engagement with the FT that you guys track? Yeah, no, we look at, um, look at like quite a wide variety. So, for example, one of the projects I worked on when I was product manager with our internal tools of our newsroom was that we created a bespoke uh, data application called Lantern. 
um, and that was an analytics tool for the newsroom. So these are journalists, their main role is to write awesome content. They don't want to be looking at a really heavy data tool and trying to understand how stories are doing. So we wrote, we just built um, a really kind of simple analytics tool for them. So instead of, in a, in a paper world, you could work out how engaging your content was by how many newspapers you were sold. In a digital world, you can actually look at what content people are reading. So we would never, um, we have editorial independence is really strong at the FT, so we won't, we're not a clickbait organisation. We won't write things just to get more people to view them. We'll write things because we think, we'll write about them because we think they're important that people should know. But for us, understanding what our subscribers would like and what they're reading and what they're not reading so much of does help the newsroom work out, okay, how can we kind of, what should we be focusing on at the moment? And so um, editorial have a morning conference and now Lantern has a dashboard and that's part of that conference. So looking at reader data is kind of embedded now into the newsroom workflow, which is cool. Do you do any code yourself then? Uh, any code that would go into... No, so it's, it's an interesting one. So as a product person, you get asked a lot, like, should I code? Um, and my view is that it depends on my role. So if I was a technical product manager, that just wouldn't work. But I have technical knowledge. I can talk to my uh, engineers and that's fine in my team. But I trust my engineers. I trust my tech lead. What my job is, is basically articulating the problem we're trying to solve. And then as a team, collectively, we're trying to work out how we solve that problem. So for me, I don't need to learn how to code because I've got people in my team who know that and they're part of my um, people making a solution. I need to be like technical literate, technically literate, but I wouldn't have to learn to code. Um, I might at some point just out of like personal interest, so I can just do something dorky on the side for me, like, but for my job, um, it's good if they're interested in it, but like you have to kind of, I'm happy leaving it to the experts, I guess. Okay. That's my view. <laughs> so quite a lot depends on trust then. How, yeah, how do you build, so. that, build that as a manager, especially on different projects, different people might come in? Do you have a core team? That... No, I think um, at the FT, it's really important that we have a, a whole thing about empowerment. So you don't tell a team what they should be doing. Again, like my job is there to create a vision that everyone can buy into so everyone knows what we're trying to do. Create a strategy that basically says, here's the things that I think we should, the problems I think we should solve to get from A to B. And then it's the team that's empowered to actually work out how best to do that. Um, and if you're not telling, I think the devs that I work with, um, they don't just want to be told, here's this, build that. So if you kind of let people into the discussion, I think they, the trust comes, the trust builds naturally both ways. And you kind of develop a sixth sense. So. Um, I do know roughly like how long things will take. Um, I would never commit to anything, but you kind of roughly know once you've experienced like building certain parts of homepages, for example, on media websites, you roughly get a feel for how long stuff should take. So how much of it would you say of your product management role is creative and how much of it is management management in the traditional um, sense? It depends on the project. Um, so my current one, I would say um, probably more management because there's that communication overhead because it's a global um, team where um, other roles I've had, it's been like more kind of like creativity when you're just kind of, when I was like working in the newsroom and like, like 
customers are there, you could just talk to them and understand their problems and try and solve it. That was quite cool. Um, I still get to do that on this project, um, but it's probably more management on this one, just due to the complexity of the setup. Okay. So in general then, just to close off, uh, what are some of the technology trends in the media industry in particular that interest you at the moment, I would you say? Um, so for impact? me, I think it'll be, um, and these are just buzzwords that get branded around, but it'll be like the machine learning um, AI aspect. So um, we've just done a customer research project for uh, Nick Asian Review, and we've got kind of like two types of customers. So one is like a generalist persona, um, so they come to the website and they want to just get that, they want to know something really specific. So, um, and in order to build a product that both, that meets those different personas, you're going to have to do personalization. So how do you recommend stories um, and so people get the most relevant news for them as quickly as possible? Um, and how do you do that cleverly without it being introducing like lots of bias or like you're all seeing the same thing? And so I think that's the main trend. So how do you basically surface the real relevant news to people in this information overload kind of era? I think that's the challenge. Um, and that's one of the things I'm quite excited to be working on and hopefully more in the future, I guess. That's very interesting. Does that then lead to like uh, the same article in many different ways for different personas or is that yes. more on the distribution? Potentially as well. So it could even go that deep. So someone said in my customer research, it'd be really good to kind of get a headline, get a summary and then get an in-depth um, of the same article. So how do we um, create products that better showcase what the newsroom are producing, I think, is the challenge. And there has to come a point where you have to look at how tech can do that um, just to support the different needs um, of personalization. So it sounds like you're a very exciting point in the industry, in the company, in personal development. Uh, where do you think you envisage yourself in the future after, with the skills and experience that you have? Um, so for me, um, the best piece of career advice I got was don't worry about your next kind of like promotion or job title, just try to keep learning. Um, and I think that is a much less stressful way to look at your career as well, because <laughs> then you're a lot more like, OK, am I learning? Yes. If I'm not, OK, what other opportunities are there? And that's one of the reasons why I've, I've stuck around at the FT for so long, because I've um, always been moved around and learned something new. So for me, um, the things that I want to learn more about um, is like emotional intelligence. So how do you keep your calm in certain situations and all of that kind of thing? But I think the next things for me would probably be I've worked in quite big corporates. I quite like to work for a smaller company, maybe a startup at some point. All the way to a founder, maybe. Uh, you need some very good ideas for that, so we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> um, so that's the most challenging part of being a product manager. You don't actually have, uh, your team aren't beneath you, they're kind of like part of the team. So um, you have the job of trying to persuade everyone to go do this with having zero control over everyone. Um, so the best you do that, in my opinion, is creating a compelling reason why this place is a really good place that you should go. So your vision, how you think you could get from A to B. And then, um, as I said, instead of telling people, like, build this stuff, okay, how do we solve these problems um, and get people to be part of that? I think 
if everyone's coming to work trying to work out how to solve a problem, that's why I like IT. Um, and I just see it as problem solving. Um, and I think a lot of people do as well. So if everyone's bought into that process, I think that's the best way. I think sometimes it depends on the product. So um, I think sometimes you can take your product skills and your product methodologies and you can hop around industry. But I think they get through there's certain products where you just wouldn't be able to do that. And I think having industry knowledge is really helpful. Um, that said, we've had people at the FT who have gone from editorial into product, marketing into product, and they're excellent product managers because they have that industry knowledge and they can apply the skills. So um, it's not core, but certain parts. So that's a very on-the-fence answer, but it depends, I think. <laughs> Um, so I can't comment on the specifics, but um, Alphaville is quite a, a cool thing at the FT because it's always that it's typically known as that kind of opinion, that comment kind of part on the on a typically like dry markets kind of subject. But um, and that's what I like about the FT in that if you actually get to know the FT as a brand, as its content, yes, you've got like pure financial services market articles and stuff but you've got things like Alphaville we've got things like work and career sections really good um the some of the opinion stuff I read an article the other day about someone whose son drunkenly run them from a Greek island on a like oh I've lost my friends or something like that and that was an FT article and that's quite entertaining so I think it Alphaville kind of content it really it rounds out the FT and I think it makes it like quite a good publication for more people than you would naturally think. Thanks for listening to Lewagon Live. Tune in next week for another episode. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe by hitting the subscribe button. 